Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. You are listening to an encore presentation of Afternoons with Bill Arnold. Faith, hope, and clarity in a special repeat performance. And a warm welcome to the afternoon show. I'm Bill Arnold. In Psalm 85, verse 6, it says, Will you not yourself revive us again, that your people may rejoice in you? And I think of the word revival. I believe it comes from the Latin meaning to live again. And there's some big revival going on at Asbury Seminary in Kentucky. And my guest today is not only a graduate of that seminary, but He's been there recently. If he's not there right now, I'm going to learn more about everything related to the revival that's happening in Asbury with Dr. Bob Moeller. You can learn more about Bob at fourkeepsministries.com, a regular guest on the show. Welcome back, Bob. Thank you so much, Bill. So are you uh, currently at Asbury or have you left already? No, uh, we were there, uh, let's see, last uh, Tuesday and Wednesday and part of Thursday. So it's been a little bit, almost a week ago now we were there. Well, tell us what it was like being in the chapel. Well, it started at Asbury University, which is across the street. They have a chapel called Hughes Auditorium, which was the scene of the 1970, February 1970, ironically, 53 years ago this month, uh, a great outpouring of God's spirit. And um, there has always been... Uh, Asbury is an independent school, both that and the seminary are independent of one another, but both have been born out of revival in, in, you know, past decades, even a century ago. And so it's one of those places where people pray for a special outpouring of God's spirit. Now they do at other schools as well. Asbury by no means has a franchise on revival. In fact, it would be, it would be, um, very wrong to think of it that way. It's just one school among many that has sought for God to visit his people and make his presence known in a powerful way. And so prayer all across the nation, I mean, concerts of prayer, men such as David Bryant and Henry Blackaby with the Southern Baptists and others, it crosses denominational lines, have been praying for a great outpouring of God's spirit and it happened, I believe, on February 8th, um, a few weeks ago, that they were having chapel, as usual, from 10 to 11 uh, a.m. at Hughes Auditorium. And students felt led to stay and continue worshiping, playing worship music, leading and, and singing and whatever. And from that spark, something caught fire. And more students started returning to the chapel. And before you know it, or could could know what was happening, it lasted the entire day and through the evening. And from that point onward, word began to spread that something special was happening um, on campus there. And in the days that followed, thanks to social media, I think primarily today, that's how we learned about it, uh, interest in this grow, uh, began to grow and um, people began to uh, begin to visit, began to drive down there, began to come to campus to catch a glimpse of what God was doing there. 
And uh, by the time that Cheryl and I left on Thursday morning, there was a line two blocks long, probably a six-hour wait to get into the college auditorium, and it was in pouring rain. And nobody left. <laughs> nobody tried to go. And then, of course, they used other venues such as Estes Chapel across the street where we were able to get into. Mm-hmm. So, Bob, I would love for you to tell us what genuine revival looks like and maybe some of the criteria for revival. So we would identify this as maybe something a little different from just an, um, an extended time of prayer. Well, let me give you a definition. Revival, I, I see, as a supernatural outpouring of the Holy Spirit that results in deep conviction of sin, true cleansing of our hearts, and a real joy in the finished work of the gospel or the cross of Christ. It is not being saved again. It is experiencing the reality and power of our salvation once again. So revival, in the technical sense of the word, is for Christians not non-Christians. Now, that doesn't mean non-believers don't get saved. In fact, the first and second great awakening, as they were called in American history, resulted in 10 to 15 percent of the entire population of the U.S. at that time being converted. The great awakening was in the 1700s. The uh, second great awakening was in the 1800s. And though we have had smaller awakenings or revivals in the 20th century, we've yet to see anything on the magnitude of the first and second great awakening. Mm-hmm. Uh, genuine revival typically begins, Bill, with a burden for prayer. God puts it on the hearts of certain people to pray for a fresh outpouring of God's spirit. They are burdened to pray for the church, um, for the nation. They're burdened to pray for um, communities. And they just implore God, please, once again, show yourself in an unusual way in power and glory. And prayer meetings are the typical way that revivals have begun in the past. And from what we know, uh, at this most recent outpouring, which, by the way, has spread to many other college campuses, to to many other cities now, um, it began with people praying for God to... uh, to revive his people, that they might really live again. And usually those prayers are answered, no telling when. It can be years, even decades before, you know, this sudden, unexpected sense of irresistible conviction and presence of God suddenly, you know, comes down on the hearts of Christians. It's happened in Wales back in the early 1900s. There was a Welsh revival uh, there have been revivals in different places in Africa and, you know, around the world throughout the last um, century or whatever. But America has been long overdue for something like this, indeed desperate for it. Um, usually revival is accompanied by spontaneous, heartfelt confessions of sin, Um Open and public confession is often sparks a, a conviction in the hearts of other believers, um, followed by an overwhelming sense of personal forgiveness, pardon, release. The blood of Christ cleanses us from righteousness. Again, this is for the saved, not the unsaved to begin with. 
and joy and freedom sparkles in people's eyes. Um, I was blessed as a pastor uh, early in my uh, career. In fact, while I was studying at Asbury, Cheryl and I had two small country churches in southern Indiana that we pastored on the weekend. And we had a, a an outpouring, a visitation of God happen at our churches. I remember it vividly. It was in like April of, of that year. We had someone come and preach. And um, at the end of the service, we said anyone who wants to stay for prayer or, you know, some type of special need, stay. Everybody else, go ahead, leave. And, you know, Bill, that night, nobody left. Wow. And I thought they didn't understand. I got up and said, you don't understand the service is over. Because when <laughs> I would preach, when I would preach and pronounce a benediction, there'd be a stampede for the door most, uh, mm-hmm. most Sundays. And um, I hadn't taken the class in seminary yet on what to do if people won't leave your church. So I was kind of confounded. Why won't people leave? So I turned to the professor, a very godly man who, by the way, was a deep believer in revival. I said, have you, have you seen this before? He goes, well, not not very often. And the second night this happened, and the third night, people did not leave for like another 45 minutes or an hour they stayed. And that itself was marvelous, but that's not the essence of, of, of Revival Bill. It was in the weeks and months that afterwards, the Spirit of God just seemed to descend on those little country churches. I mean, one Sunday I was preaching, and I look back, and, and these were factory workers, farmers, field hands, uh, not field hands, but, you, you know, just people that, that worked with their hands in different trades. And um, they were all weeping, these, these ushers, all men handing each other handkerchiefs. Now, Bill, this is not your typical sensitive male, okay? I mean, this, these, these guys were, were kind of rough on the edges. And they're all handing each other handkerchiefs and crying, and I'm looking at my notes. What if, what did I say? Well, I hadn't said anything. The Spirit of God came down. When I asked one of them, I said, Eddie, what, what happened back there during the service? He said, Pastor, in the last few weeks, we've gotten something, and we don't want to lose it. None of us want to lose it. And in his own way, he was saying, you know, we've encountered God in a special way. One night we were having supper. We lived in a mobile home on the church parking lot in this country church we were serving. There's a knock on the door. And there we opened the door and there was a man named Corbett. And he was a rough character. He had been a Marine. He told me he had been baptized at Iwo Jima because he thought he was going to die. And, you know, a great patriot. But when he came home, he was he was kind of a rough guy. And sat by himself at church and never talked to anyone usually. He owned some apple orchards in the area. Anyway, we opened the door and there's Corbett one evening, beautiful spring evening. And his eyes are swollen with tears and he is crying. And I thought, oh no, someone's died in his family. And and he was holding this worn out family Bible. It looked like it had to be 75 years old and falling apart. And he looked up at me and he said, Pastor, will you explain this book to me? Oh, wow. This is a guy who had shown no spiritual interest other than being in church, never spoke to anybody. Some some considered him a little dishonest in the community. At least there was word of that at time. I don't know if that's fair or not, but he was, again, a tough, tough guy. That evening, he sat on our couch, Bill, and he cried as he received Christ. Now, how do you explain that? 
you know, except that in revival, the Holy Spirit moves in people's lives to convict them of sin, to show them their need of the gospel, to bring them to a place they've never been before. And when it's going to happen, how it's going to happen, you know, is completely unpredictable. And that's part of what is so wonderful about revival is you never know what God is going to do next. Bob, this is a rather large chunk of good news. Well, I think it is. You know, as I, too. It's thrilling. As I watched people that week, you know, have you ever seen a movie where the camera is sort of behind a, a, a building or behind a ridge or tree and it, it pans up over a hill and suddenly in front of you there is a breathtaking panorama? I don't oh, know sure. if you've ever seen that in a film, but oh, it's, yeah. it's, it's one technique. Well, Cheryl and I, the morning we were there, we got in late at night, so we didn't see much. But the next morning, we we got up and walked up the steps uh, to to the ground level. And across the street, it took my breath away. There was a line of people that had to be a block long at that point, all quietly, patiently, orderly waiting to get into the chapel. And there was a sense of peace. There was a sense of expectation. There was just a a sense of being in the presence of God. Mm -hmm. And I looked at that scene across the street and I didn't know what to say. Well, we went into the chapel itself and they had live feed from across the street. And there was a continuous praise, worship, punctuated by testimonies, not many preachers, actually, uh, occasionally, but one one man spoke who was a, a pastor, and what he said is still impacting me. He said, you know, we're not defined by our failures as a believer. We're not defined by our successes. We're not defined by how much we impress God. We are defined by the cross of Christ and his acceptance of us. Hmm. And, you know, I have been so struck by that because either we struggle by our failures thinking I'm the sum total of all my bad decisions. Mm -hmm. Or we think, you know, I'm the sum total of all the things I've done right lately or the way I perhaps am, you know, pleasing or God or earning his favor in some way. And of course, obedience, it does bring God's favor, but at the end of the day, it is only the work of the cross, only the blood of Christ that yeah. should define Amen. us. Yeah. And but when it we'll defines us, there's freedom. Yeah. We'll take a break. We'll come back more with Dr. Bob Moeller. He has been uh, at Asbury um, at witnessing the revival. We're going to learn more about that and learn more about revival when we come back from the break. are listening to an encore presentation of Afternoons with Bill Arnold. Faith, hope, and clarity in a special repeat performance. I'm back with Dr. Bob Moeller. We're talking revival, and I love this discussion. I love revival. I love what it's doing in the hearts of men and women. And I'm really interested, Bob, when you talk about how there's this sense of conviction of sin 
that sweeps down into the hearts of Christians. And, and in many cases, the sin's been hidden for years or decades, and it can't be ignored any longer. Has there been uh, public confessions of sin in in these in this revival that is going on at Asbury? Well, yes, there has been. Um, one night, there was a student there from Greenville College, which is in Illinois, actually, and she had traveled down with 20 other students when she heard of what was happening. And on the way down there, she had come from a troubled, dysfunctional, broken home. It had done a real number on her heart, as unfortunately, you know, our culture in all of its brokenness, the, the real victims have been our children and young people. But um, she said on the way down there, for the first time in her life, she forgave her parents. And, you know, I don't know that anyone challenged her to do that, but she just admitted to us that, that she had, um, she had been carrying this, this unforgiveness, you know, toward them and that God just revealed to her, you need to let go of this. You need to give this to me. And, and she did. And, you know, that's the kind of thing to me, that's an evidence of God at work. And this is the kind of thing that will produce a new sense of joy and a freedom. Um, and you talk about that is uh, you now can present a, a clean vessel to use for God's purposes because of this forgiveness. Well, and that's, I think, really the essence of this is that God wants to renew his people. And sin has a way, it, it doesn't change our status of salvation i don't believe but it can it can change our intimacy our fellowship with god just like you can be married and very committed to one another but if you have unresolved grievances with one another it's going to hinder your relationship until you resolve that and so one of the real marks of revival is that when people deal with the things they haven't deal, dealt with before um, there is a new joy and freedom. You can see the sparkle in the life in their eyes when that happens. And inevitably, that starts the restoration of relationships, uh, sometimes between parents, sometimes between college roommates. It can be you know, with your children, with your siblings, with other believers. There is this desire to set things straight and to be right with each other. And it's a it's a really a, a wonderful thing to behold. Um, I don't know whether the revival was starting to reach me before I got there or not, but um, I had run into someone who I had had a dispute with years before that had never really been resolved, and suddenly there that person was there, and God just spoke to me and said, "It's time to go ask His forgiveness." It's time to make the, and so I went up and, and did that. And the both of us just felt this, we forgave each other, we reconciled, and it was at a funeral of all places that we ran into each other. But, you know, that is, there was joy, there's freedom. We, we can meet each other in the future and truly embrace and, and truly feel, you know, that as brothers in Christ, our hearts are one. And that's what God wants to do is, is reconcile um, relationships. And then sometimes, Bill, what follows 
and it's yet to see. I want to I want to preface this. It's yet to see how this all plays out with mm-hmm. this Asbury uh, outpouring. I mean, it's time time tells the real story. Uh, but in in 1970, when revival came to that campus, I came to seminary seven years later. This is seven years after it had happened. I stepped on campus, and and this was so unexpected, but I felt the presence of God. I, I mean, I was overwhelmed with it. Now, it, it didn't last the whole time I was there, but that day when I stepped there, and it was like the afterglow of the revival was there. Well, I ran into, um, or I heard the bookstore manager, it was actually a woman, say after the 1970 revival, students came in for months afterwards and said, I have to pay you for this book I've stolen. seminary students and the local grocer said the same thing happened he had college students and seminary students for months come in and say i owe you for the food i stole from this store really really and that's one of the true signs of revival is restitution where you want to make things right with people where it has been wrong i mean that's just another step in all of this and and to me a, a sign of god genuinely working because it brings unity it brings integrity back to the to the body of christ where it may have been lacking and then from there comes a desire to share what god has done in your life with others in other words no one has to to urge you to do it or put pressure on you you want to go tell others what god has done and that's exactly what revival usually does people go out from the situation to other places And I was fortunate in 1970, I was a junior high student, I think a ninth grader at the time, two weeks after the revival at Asbury, which spread to other campuses. And I hate to even use the adjective Asbury before the revival because it's it's God's work. It's not the college or seminary's work by any means whatsoever. Man cannot produce this. Only God can. But two students came that weekend in in in. I was in Minnesota. It was cold. It was icy. It was a Sunday night service. I could not have been more bored and wanted to be home. I was a ninth grader, kind of listless. And I remember this student came and said, you know, how God had worked in his life a few weeks earlier. And he said, if we Christians could only get right with God, our world could be set right. And with that, the front of our church was flooded with young people. Junior high, senior high, college, there was no room left at the front, as I remember, from one end to the other, students kneeling in prayer. Oh, what and, a beautiful picture. Yeah, and you know, from that from that group, Bill, came a host of pastors, Christian counselors, Christian, you know, missionaries. Mm-hmm. I mean, an extraordinary percentage of my generation entered full time Christian ministry. Wow. Bob, let's because take a break. We'll be we'll be right back with more of Dr. Bob Moeller. If you have a question about the revival that's happening at Asbury, you can certainly text it over, 877-933-2484. We'll be right back. listening to an encore presentation of Afternoons with Bill Arnold. 
faith, hope, and clarity in a special repeat performance. Dr. Bob Muller is my guest. He was at Asbury for a couple of days checking out the revival. He also attended seminary there just after the 1970 revival. So we're glad to have him here with a firsthand perspective. And Bob, before we get back to the power, the spiritual power of revival, I just have a quick question about the logistics of what's going on on campus when all of a sudden hundreds and thousands of people are showing up and how are they accommodating everybody and what are they, how are their facilities holding up and everything else? That's a lot of pressure on their infrastructure, I would imagine. Oh, it does. And they did a remarkable job, both the college and seminary, to accommodate people. They were so welcoming. Um, they they went out of their way to help people get fed and, you know, all, all the uh, needs that people would bring with them. Uh, at this point now, what they have done is made a decision uh, to shift the um, the focus from being on campus to sending students out or holding events at other churches locally. In other words, they, they've, I don't think any more meetings are happening on campus there. And they simply did reach a point, I suspect, of some exhaustion. You got to remember this went for, I think over two weeks, 24 hours a day. Mm-hmm. And wow. that would overwhelm any group. And at the same time, they were trying to keep classes going and everything else. But I can't say enough about the hospitality, the kindness, the efforts that were made. But in a way that the crowd simply at the end, I think, became overwhelming. Uh, the last, one of the last weekend, I think there was a, a mile long line or something like that. I may be incorrect, but that's what I heard. It was something like that. So it, it couldn't continue in that way indefinitely uh, because it was overwhelming. Mm-hmm. And in the service that ran 24 hours a day, was it primarily worship music? Was it people uh, giving testimonies? Was it some periodic teachers getting up and giving messages uh, from God's word? I'm so curious how you fill a 24-hour schedule. You know, it's it's amazing. I would have to say the bulk of it was singing and praise and prayer. People at the front of the church praying, kneeling, uh, others gathering around them. That happened continuously during this. It wasn't just a designated. I don't even know there were many invitations that were given that they were unnecessary because mm-hmm. people kept flooding that and uh, others would come and pray and get up and leave. And then others would come. There were some prayer counselors, but there definitely was some messages. The president of the college spoke for a while and then uh, another pastor from the area uh, had spoken. And then there were some college officials that led part of it. Um, I, there was no one officially in charge, if you want to put it that way. And mm-hmm. I understand several prominent ministries, uh, individuals contacted and said, can we come lead this? And they politely turned it down uh, because they were not looking for this to be um, under the leadership of some particular group or ministry. I know, for example, um, 
uh, one major network wanted to broadcast from there the evening uh, program. And that would have been millions and millions of viewers. And they politely turned that down Hmm. because this was not a spectacle and they didn't want it to become an event or, you know, some type of sensation. It was really meant to be a holy, sacred time of seeking God. And you could feel as you sat for several hours, as we did, there would be crescendos of people clapping and praying and praising God. And there'd be other quiet moments. But uh, most of the time in between, just one music group after another, led by, uh, you know, churches of every variety, I think, in the area came and donated their worship teams and Um, they would play for an hour or two and then be relieved by another. I have no idea how they, how they were able to staff that or, you know, put people, but it happened. It worked. But when you think of the logistics and it's clearly the Holy Spirit that has taken over and ransomed this group and started this revival, because how else does, does it just keep going? Well, let me tell you something else I saw, Bill, and this was particularly moving to me. In the the 1970 revival, it was primarily students, college age, going out across the country to Azusa Pacific and colleges all around the nation where revival then broke out. But here it was people coming, and it wasn't just students. There were couples pushing strollers with infants. There were parents with elementary-aged children. There were teenagers. There were people with walkers and wheelchairs. I've never seen a more multi-generational event uh, of this size. And I saw in people's faces um, two words that I've often used is hunger and hope. Hmm. I, I, I could see a spiritual hunger as people went forward and prayed. Many pastors and wives came seeking, you know, maybe healing for their hearts or the difficult experiences. I think many came for that reason. I saw families. I saw a father. One one father was praying. It was his daughter who looked to be maybe 10. She had his arm around him praying for him. And so it was very moving. I have never, and, and again, there was a politeness, a civility. There was a gentleness about it all. It wasn't like there was pushing and shoving or people angry because they waited so long. There was um, instead just this um, wonderful sense of both expectation and a, and a longing for God that that I felt was predominant. Mm-hmm. Were there, a listener wanted to know if there were any uh, notable healings. I, I assume there's many, many spiritual and relational ones. I think the question might be uh, physical. I'm not sure. Yeah, I was told that there was. I was told there was. And without getting too far into the deep weeds of theology, um, there was one one moment where a, a, a gal, a college gal, I think was delivered from spiritual bondage. Mm, wow. And it was a, it was a real miracle. Now, you have to know at least my background and my training and whatever is very conservative. And it's kind of like, if, if it's not in the bulletin, God can't do it. Okay. 
Um, that's, that's sort of, so I want people to know where I come from on this. Uh-huh. And there was not, you know, any crazy manifestations I saw. There wasn't anything wild going on that would make you cringe or wonder. Really, that wasn't it at, at all. Um, I didn't see that, at least. Was there a wide variety of denominations present? Of course there were. But uh, Revival is not the uh, franchise of any one group. I mean, George Whitfield, who, who helped lead the, the first Great Awakening in America, was thoroughly reformed. Um, in uh, England at the same time, John Wesley was, of course, coming from a different place, and, and revival struck there uh, and, and led. So um, true revival tends to transcend denominations, and the secondary differences between us uh, tend to fade as people focus on um, the cleansing of sin, uh, the desire for reconciliation, and then uh, a new sense of urgency to spread the gospel both locally and, and worldwide. I don't know if listeners realize this, but in the first great awakening, many of the Ivy League schools or prominent universities in the United States were started as a result of revival to train pastors and Christian workers. Um, I think if I name some of those schools, you'd be quite surprised. But inevitably, revival, if it's a genuine revival, produces um, a, a, a fresh outpouring of energy to train pastors and missionaries and Christian workers and equip them uh, to do God's work, along with acts of compassion and mercy, orphanages, hospitals, all sorts of things come out of revival, um, where people have a, a new desire to minister to the uh, the wounds of society and address injustice and um, many of the of the abolitionists of the early 19th century came out of the second great awakening and they were greatly burdened by slavery and it's it's injustice and uh, they um, they worked you know peacefully uh, to to see that wrong redressed and so um there is an awareness that that comes upon society as well when people are revived to really care for people in in whatever form of suffering uh, they might be encountering so bob the idea behind a revival is not so much new converts as much as renewed believers which will then hopefully go out and help uh, produce new converts. Does that sound about right? Yes. In the first and second great awakenings, it's estimated that between 10 and 15% of the entire American population was converted. Wow. Boy, that'd be nice to have that happen again. Oh, wouldn't it? And that 10 to 15% proved to be leaven in the loaf as it was that brought about some wonderful things that uh, spiritually speaking and otherwise we've enjoyed the spiritual capital from those awakenings, even hundreds and hundreds of years later or decades later. Mm-hmm. So you don't have to convert the entire population for yeah. there to be a profound change. 10 to 15% no. do it. That's an incredible number. I'm just trying to do the math right now. If 10 or 15% got saved and they all started listening to the Afternoons with Bill Arnold show... <laughs> Carry the one. Okay, I'd have a lot of new listeners, Bob. I'm just going to say that up front. 
Yeah, you you, you probably would. Uh, somewhere <laughs> between thirty and forty million. And <laughs> yeah. In terms of keeping up with all you know, the texts and everything, that could be a challenge. Yeah. So, what might revival do uh, in terms of uh, politics or art or? creativity, beauty, law? I know that's kind of a lofty question, but uh, it seems like it has the ability to make some significant changes, which I think our world desperately needs. Well, it does. Um, You know, true revival brings about a restoration of godly values, biblical values, which as that permeates society does not create the handmaid's tale, you know, tale or whatever of oppression and control, quite the opposite. You know, people that are living holy lives are actually the most free um, to enjoy life and to, um, to bring creativity in the arts, um, to bring um, a new sense of integrity to the business world. Mm-hmm. Uh, people that have been revived, um, well, you know, they bring the kind of values that I think most of us would want in our neighbors. Yeah. All right. Let me take a little break. Dr. Bob Moeller is my guest. You can learn more about Bob at fourkeepsministries.com. And we'll take a short break. If you have a question about the revival or maybe you have something you'd like to ask Bob about revivals in general, let me know. 877-933-2484. And we'll be right back. are listening to an encore presentation of Afternoons with Bill Arnold. Faith, hope, and clarity in a special repeat performance. We are talking revival today with Dr. Bob Moeller. Um, Bob was uh, at Asbury and went to seminary there, met his wife Cheryl, and also his uh, was there recently for a couple of days, taking in everything that it was uh, was going on there. And Bob, I, I wonder how do we get on this uh, revival fever? I mean, I think all of us who are listening, thinking, I want a piece of that. Right. Well, some things that we can do is that I think number one, we can admit each of us individually just how far we may have drifted from God, mm-hmm. how we may have lost our first love, how our faith may have become very routine or mechanical to us. Um, Secondly, I think we need to humble ourselves before God in prayer and ask him to show us our pride, ask him to show us the hidden places that we've been ignoring and ask him to, you know, for the Holy Spirit to really truly search our hearts. And then I think, you know, to pray for the grace to repent, which is a change of mind. You know, the Bible says a broken and contrite heart, you know, God, you will not refuse or despise that we we come before God and ask him if he would break our heart over our sin and, and what we've done. And then we need to confess that to God with, you know, to that confession in the scriptures just means to agree with God that we've done this. And in some cases to confess uh, to other people where that's necessary and needed. 
and then to pray that God would fill us once again with the power of the Holy Spirit to serve him. So really, it begins individually. It's not where you get together a group of people and try and rev things up, although group prayer meetings and intercession is very vital to this. I don't want to um, I don't want to downplay that in any way. It's just that it can't be produced on demand, as you will. You just can't uh, click on the channel and press the revive button, and it's there. But I would say that if uh, awakenings are happening in different places, to either go see that yourself or to invite people from there to come and share what God has done in their life. Um, that's primarily the way it spreads is just person to person coming and witnessing to what God has done in their life. Uh, for people that would like to get an idea of how that plays out in the weeks and months and fo that follows, um, a book called One Divine Moment, which was written by a, a Robert Coleman, um, that tells the story of the 1970 revival. And for example, there's a story in there of students going out to share what had happened and they stopped for gas somewhere in Georgia or Alabama. And they were just, you know, refueling, heading toward a church somewhere, I guess, in that area. But they discovered the young owner of the gas station and his wife were um, about to get a divorce, that they were at the place where it was irreconcilable and they both wanted to go different ways. And the girls, gals in the car, shared with her about Christ, and the men talked to him. They both received Jesus that day, and their marriage was reconciled. Hmm. And so the power of God um, just was manifest in that in that gas station, just stopping there for that. And, you know, there's many, many more stories like that. But if you really want to see how God uses people to spread this, um, it's a wonderful book to read. And it's called One Divine Moment. Is that right? Moment. Yes, by okay. Robert Coleman. Mm -hmm. And you, you think about, Bob, about God's perfect timing. And here these kids are stopping to get gas. And that was God's perfect timing for this young couple. Yeah, absolutely. And that's the thing about revival is that it is all about divine appointments. Um, I remember experiencing in a church, I was pastoring a, a visitation. I don't know if you could call it a full out revival, but it, it certainly felt like one uh, where God visited us. And in the weeks that afterwards, amazing things happened. And one Sunday at the end of a service, this young gal came up to me and the church was two thirds single at the time, which was different. Cheryl and I had never pastored a church quite like it. We just loved the place. But this 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 gal came up and handed me what looked like a thank you card. Now, you know, we had had a visitation of God a few weeks earlier where most everybody was leaning over on their face in the aisle. And this is not the kind of church where things like this happen, okay? <laughs> God had truly, mm -hmm. truly come that Sunday. Anyway, if you, I'll hurry the story along. I I said, okay, I'll read it. I put it in my coat pocket. She goes, no, read it right now. And I thought, okay. So I opened it and it just said, dear staff, dear pastors and staff, you may not know this, but a few weeks ago, a few months ago, I was going to kill myself. Hmm. I had decided my life was not worth the living any longer. And she explains why. And she said, and then something happened in our church. 
something that I did not expect. God, God came here. And she said, he completely healed me of my hatred toward my mother and, and whatever else. And she said, now I cannot wait for every day. I look forward to life as I never have before. I, I never knew she was going to kill herself. Nobody knew. God knew. And he had a divine appointment in mind. And he sent this sense of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit just in time. And it saved her life. Uh, another Sunday there, a group of uh, a van came with individuals who had certain uh, mental challenges and and whatever. But they had come to worship, and we were so glad to have them there. And I remember one of the young men came down to pray at the end of it. And we had a stained glass of Jesus in the balcony, and the sun was coming through that Garden of Gethsemane or whatever picture was. And I was leading him to Christ. And because of his challenges, I was wondering how much of this, you know, and, and he stopped me and said, Pastor, he's here. He said, he's already here. And he looked up with this glow on his face. And I felt so embarrassed and so ashamed that I doubted in any way that God could speak to his heart. But I remember he... He just said, he's here. And and that's the thing about revival is he's here. And no matter what kind of challenges we may face or where we come from, he can meet us. He can touch our lives because he's here. And that's what we need to pray for in our churches. Lord, mm -hmm. I want you to be here. Bob, there's no Hollywood script that could rival stories living for christ is there no no and and when revival begins bill one of the wonderful things is is that you know you're not in control you have no desire to be in control in fact <laughs> your only concern is may i not stop this <laughs> lord may i, I not move that. this up yeah don't yeah. let me mess this up but otherwise what are you going to do today what are you going to do today um and, and each day becomes an adventure because God is going to do something. And who knows what it's going to be, but it's a fun way to live when that begins to happen. Mm -hmm. Bob, we have about four minutes left, and I, I, I love your action steps. Have you lost your first love for Jesus and to search your hearts and the grace to repent and to fill us once again? Would, would you uh, close us out in prayer for that? those steps? Yes. Heavenly Father, we thank you. Your word says when we call unto you, you will answer. And that you will show us great and, and wonderful things that we do not know. And thank you, Lord, that in the last few weeks, um, it seems as if people who have been calling on you for decades, years and years and years, concerts of prayer and prayer gatherings, prayer weekends, prayer summits, even individually that you have heard and you have answered. And Lord, we pray that we would get out of the way, that that we would not hinder what you want to do in any way through pride or, or putting, you know, one group above another. May we humble ourselves before you. 
Lord, as the psalmist said, will you not revive us again that we may rejoice in you? And Lord, we we echo that prayer this evening for local churches, for families, for marriages, for individuals, for singles, for our country, for our nation. Will you not revive us again that we might rejoice in you? And so, Father, each of us, show us, show us what it is that we need to forsake. Show it is what it is that blocks or hinders you working through us in the lives of others or that that seems to cause our hearts to grow cold or hard toward you or toward each other. Lord, may this be a time of humility. May this be a time in which um, we admit that the person that most needs to be revived is ourselves. And we come before you, Lord, humbly to ask that you would do that. And that once again, the world might know the glory and the beauty and the holiness of your presence and the life abundant that you've come to give us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Bob, for being on the program today. Always nice to hear from you. Thank you, Bill. Appreciate that. So Dr. Bob Moeller has been my guest. Fourkeepsministries.com is where you can learn more about Bob. And finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. That wraps up our show for the day and for the week. Thank you for supporting Faith Radio. See you next week. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.